Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Wright, says thank you for listening. Five of the world's oldest surviving poems seem like they were written yesterday in a series of contemporary short films by Jack Jewers. Later this hour, he'll tell us how each film takes an ancient poem to explore our moment in time. First, Georgia teens give their regards to Broadway. Chats and store one way aisles for 525,600 minutes. I ordered takeout too many times. Broadway star and celebrated actor Shuler Hensley was born in Atlanta and raised in Marietta. After graduating from the Westminster schools, he attended UGA on a baseball scholarship, but theater won his heart, and lucky for us. Shuler Hensley continues to give back to the community through the Schuler Awards, also known as the Georgia High School Musical Theater Awards, that's awarded through the ArtsBridge Foundation. 
Schindler Hensley joins us now via Zoom, along with the Director of Arts Education for ArtsBridge, Angela Farr Schiller. Welcome back to City Lights. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, thank you so much, Lois. So good to be with you. And for those who may not be familiar with the Schuler Awards, how would you describe it? I would describe it as sort of the Georgia's high school musical theater's equivalent to like the Tony Awards for the high school group. And more, much more than that, it's a, it's a scholarship award show. And it's also just a chance for all these kids from every corner of the state of Georgia to come together and to put on a show and to meet each other and celebrate the love of musical theater and the love of the arts. And, you know, I say this every year, Lois, I say it's a selfish pleasure because I get so inspired by these kids to the point that it reinvigorates me as, a, as an artist every time I, I come here. And this is our 13th year, lucky 13. <laughs> bar mitzvah yes. year, Schuler. This is the bar mitzvah yes, year, absolutely. This will be our second year doing it virtually, but I'm telling you, the way these kids have persevered and are resilient and are, you know, are just as hardworking as ever over the virtual world, it's just incredible. And it's, it's even more inspiring in the last couple of years through the pandemic. Well, despite the challenges of the pandemic, you still wanted to proceed with the award show. Last year's was virtual. This year's show is also virtual. What have been some of the challenges organizing this year's competition, Angela? Sure, that's a great question. I think, you know, some of the biggest were, would schools be able to participate? What would their budgets be like? You know, a lot of times there was money that was diverted to other uh, urgent needs, you know, during this COVID uh, pandemic. And what, you know, would their kind of bandwidth be like as directors and as students navigating this time period? But what we found is that there were a lot of schools that felt like being a part of this really gave their programs and their students and their schools something to rally around, something to aspire towards. And so we decided, you know, for them and for us that we would go forward because there's nothing like putting on a show to bring people together, both kind of internally, but also within the community as well. So what will this reimagined Schuler Award ceremony look like? Did high schools send in recorded performances? Yes, absolutely. So we decided, I mean, the goal this year when I sat down with the Schuler Advisory Committee, and I have to give the biggest shout out to them, was to really think about the school that would have the most challenge being able to participate this year. A school that maybe they a teacher didn't see their students at all, be, except for being online. How could we create 
or reimagine our platform to one, still meet our, um, our mission of celebrating excellence in high school musical theater, but also allow it to be accessible for the, you know, the school that wasn't able to come together to put on a show that needed to do it in a more virtual or digital kind of format. And so we decided that going all virtual this year would be that kind of process going forward. And it really kind of um, opened us up to new ways of working together with students, new ways of really being able to appreciate the work that they uh, created. I mean, one of the things that we added this year is that we created a new submission element called a process to performance video. I mean, we basically figured that if we couldn't go to the schools as an adjudication team, that we would ask the schools to come to us via this process to performance video. And I, I think through these kind of 10 minute videos, which, which featured really fun and interesting interviews with students, performers, directors, design teams, it really gave us an amazing opportunity to go behind the scenes with every single school that participated this year, which was really fascinating and kind of allowed us to see how schools were thinking outside the box to create their shows this year. Yeah, and it, it's obvious that they had to learn a great deal in terms of filming and using the virtual technology to get this to you. Absolutely. I mean, I would say even for this process to performance video or even the, the actual show submission video, we really encouraged our schools to allow students that maybe aren't performers who are more on the technical side to edit these videos to capture this footage so that we could create more opportunities for students to contribute. And we know that in 2021, students are all over, you know, things like TikTok and uh, Twitter and social media and really creating content from that. So we thought, hey, why not use things that they're already doing and uh, put that into the making of this particular year and the ways that they put together work and allow us to see kind of, as they say, how the sausage gets made, um, which was really quite amazing. Um, and I would also say this year, we also got an opportunity to increase some of our technical um, categories and the ways that they really focus on um, student-led and kind of targeted design teams, especially in scenic design or costume designs, which allowed us to really kind of elevate some of the behind-the-scenes work in ways that we hadn't been able to before. Oh, that's great. I saw that a pair of schools is tied for the second most nominations with seven each, Duluth High School and the Glynn Academy of Brunswick, Georgia. Is that a first in the history of this contest? I wouldn't say that it's a first. I would just say that, you know, looking at the scoring, it was very, very, very close for a lot of schools. And so it is something that, you know, oftentimes you'll have, you know, in, in many things, in Tony's and the Oscars, you know, you'll have these kind of front runners. But I have to say the adjudication process this year and the things that were submitted to us made it really, really close, right? It's really splitting hairs and points there by like 0.5 or point too, um, you know, as far as getting into the kind of final nominations, but there were so many wonderful submissions this year. The first pandemic-impacted Schuler competition was about resilience, and this year the theme is hope. How will the theme of hope be demonstrated in the performances we'll see 
at the virtual ceremony? Well, I would say, actually, I think last year was really about hope because it's like, woo, we don't know, <laughs> you know, like we haven't been through this before. We don't know, but we do have hope that that if we keep doing the practice, the artistic practice, it will come, so to speak. And this year, I would say the focus really is about resiliency. And so we have um, kind of vignettes within the show this year where students got an opportunity to talk about how they were able to or how they, they were able to in relationship to the shows that they were putting on, be resilient. So we have a lot of different um, entry points that students submitted videos that we put into the show this year with students talking about the ways that they kind of triumph and that they use their um, art making skills and practices um, to be able to triumph in the face of really challenging odds this year. What are some of this year's highlights, special performances we should be on the lookout or examples of songs to be performed? Absolutely. So this year, um, we have a really beautiful, um, as every year, the medleys that we put together between the leading um, actress and leading actor performers. And we have two sets of medleys this year. We're looking at songs from the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, Little Women, from Fela, which is a new show that hasn't before been within, uh, that, that we've seen before on our stage. And so we're really excited about that. Um, Into the Woods. Uh, carousel. So we have a really wide range of student kind of performances and performers this year that we're really excited about. We also created a, this really fun, beautiful kind of sing-along parody using a lot of the music from the shows that were submitted this year in our opening number. We were able to bring back this year, in which we were very, very excited about, um, our Schuler Ensemble for both our opening and our closing to add lots of choreography to the show this year. And so we were able to have students both under very strict, you know, COVID guidelines, a few students we were able to film at the Cobb Energy Center. And then we intermix that with student submissions from across the state to interweave a kind of statewide uh, opening number and also closing number as well. So that all students, whether they could get to Atlanta or, you know, they were close to the Florida border or close to the Tennessee border, could participate in the ensemble this year. And that we were excited that our platform could still hold the entire state and not just the students in Atlanta. So that, that's that been very exciting for us as well. It sounds like it will be very engaging. What do the winners of the competition receive? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that. I was just in a meeting with the Broadway League, who is kind of our uh, umbrella organization, and they sponsor the Jimmy Awards, which is the National High School Musical Theater Awards. And the performers who win the categories of uh, best performance by a leading actress and best performance by a leading actor um, traditionally would go to New York City for a week long event to be a part of the Jimmy Awards. Last year, it was completely canceled. Um, and this year they decided that they would, you know, bring it back and then, um, and so it, it will be virtual this year, just because as Schuler said, it's a, it's a slow kind of reopening. And then the year after will be, uh, is hoping that it will be in person again. That said, the two students who do get that amazing opportunity to go to the Jimmy 
Awards. One, they are both being funded by generous donors um, via ArtsBridge to be able to supply, you know, all of their needs. And then they will be able to work with vocal coaches, Broadway choreographers to be a part of the larger national Jimmy Awards for this particular year. So their race is not yet completed with the Schulers because they will go on to the National High School Musical Theater Awards after this. And that's going to be in mid-July this year. Oh, wonderful. Schuler, how do you work with the students involved with the competition in terms of perhaps meeting some of your Broadway peers or mentors? Yes. Well, for instance, last year when, when we did the first award show in a pandemic situation, you know, Angela and the Artbridge folks decided, you know, it was so gutting for a lot of these schools because they had actually, you know, like a regular year had rehearsed their shows. They were getting ready to perform it on stage. And a lot of them never got the chance to actually perform the show. And so, you know, my my goal and the reason I love being involved in this, besides just the unbelievable talent in the state, my ability as a performer and over the years, my connections with people in the industry, it gives me great pleasure and also I remember when I was that age that networking is such an incredibly important process to learn whether or not you become a, a you know, a musical theater artist. It's just an important thing to learn in any realm. And so we did this thing last year where we saluted the seniors by um, doing a virtual panel that included directors from Broadway, choreographers from Broadway, uh, casting directors, managers, agents, you know, uh, other fellow actors, all these people who came together on, on a virtual forum and answered questions. And it was open to the seniors who missed out, you know, it was their last year to be involved. So you have to be creative, Lois. You know, it's, it's none of us have been through this, especially last year. And we've talked about resilience uh, of these kids. I think also it's amazing. The resilience is amazing, but also just the natural creativity of young artists uh, never ceases to amaze me. And Angela, you have had the advantage, I'm sure, to see a lot of what was created. This for me is like a first time too, because I've not been able to see anything. I've just heard about it. So I'm going to be right there with everyone else in terms of uh, watching this on the 20th to really just be floored by, by the creativity of these kids. So I think it's, it is incredible that we all inspire each other. And it sometimes it takes it takes a pandemic or something like that to really drive that point um, home. And for um, my manager, for instance, was crying afterwards because he said he was so moved by some of the questions and fellow artists. So, it, you know, those are the moments, I think, that really have elevated this whole process of the award show and keeping arts alive for these kids. What you're talking about reminds me of an author I spoke with recently, 
Becky Albert Tolley wrote a young adult novel that is just wonderful. It's called Kate in Waiting. And at the center of this story is a high school theater production of Once Upon a Mattress. And she goes into a great deal about the importance of musical theater for these high school kids. I remember reading Tina Fey's memoir, Bossy Pants, where she devoted a fair amount of space to describing how important theater was to her as a youth, as a teenager. What do you think it is about the theater atmosphere, music theater, TV shows like Glee as well? What is it that fosters this haven or sense of home that kids feel? And was that ultimately what you felt? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I often ask myself that question about what is it that makes it so not only important and valuable for a seasoned artist like myself, who I've been in this business for a long, long time, but the youth who are finding their quote unquote voices. I just really think that music and and singing, it's so personal to the individual. There's no one on earth that sounds like you. There's no one on earth who can sing like you. You can't really hide in that. Um, The singing voice is what it is. Somebody used to describe singing was the element of communication when, when speaking wasn't enough. I just can't speak it. I might, I have to sing this song. And when that happens, I think there's a not only a, a level of vulnerability in the person, but there's also an ultimately unique form of communicating with someone else. And I think we all, especially in musical theater, we all recognize that and have that in common. So no, no matter what your background is, and this is what I love about the students that get involved with this award show is, you can be in the mountains of North Georgia or Brunswick or Macon or anywhere and and never never have met anyone involved in this but when you come together as a group and you sing and you share that the love of music the love of these shows it gives you a sense of connection that I think is incredibly rare in any other realm of life coming together in in a program like this is invaluable because it shows you you know what I can be myself I can be heard, and I can be accepted. There's safety in this form of creativity. Schuller, when we spoke last, it was grim in terms of Broadway, uh, the uncertainty of when theaters would reopen and when we'd be able to gather again in theaters. Now, can you tell us, will you return to performing in The Music Man on Broadway? Yes. So it's really, as you said, it's been quite a journey for all of us, and especially uh, 
Broadway was interesting because I think when this first hit, people were like, you know, okay, we're going to close for a couple of weeks, but you know, we got to do that. And the dressing rooms, from what I've been told, still have pictures up and are a lot of them are still decorated the way that people decorated them thinking they would be back in a couple of weeks and to this day. So yes, Broadway is coming back slowly. I think they announced that they were going to try to uh, bring some things back towards the end of the summer, but I know a lot of these shows are wanting to take their times. They, even shows like The Lion King and Phantom and all these long running shows, you know, people have been off for however many months, you know, I don't know how many, 19 months or something like that. So we're all in a, a rebirth of Broadway. Broadway's gonna have to relearn not only the shows, but how to perform and how to uh, do these live events and still keep people feeling safe. But we are, Music Man is scheduled to start rehearsals end of October and open previews in December and open officially in February. So it's a, a nice, long opening. I just talked to the choreographer this morning because I have to dance quite a bit in this, which my mother up in heaven is, is, is either laughing or smiling. I don't know. <laughs> oh, smiling, no doubt. And so, so proud. I could just hear it in his voice. You know, there is, it's like a big exhalation of finally, we're going to get moving to where we can come back and have theater. As we've talked, you know, up till now, there's really nothing like live theater and getting people together to experience something together in real time. There's just nothing like it. Tony Award-winning actor Shuler Hensley with Angela Farr Schiller, Director of Arts Education at the ArtsBridge Foundation. The 13th annual Schuler Awards ceremony will be televised tomorrow evening at 8. More information will be on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Inverse is a new series of short films exploring ancient poetry as a prism through which to understand our modern world. Writer and filmmaker Jack Jewers created this series. He joins us now via Zoom. Jack Jewers, welcome to City Lights. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. 
inverse is a collection of five of the world's oldest surviving poems reimagined for the 21st century. How did you decide which poems you wanted to reconceptualize? Well, the genesis of this project was when I stumbled across this lovely line of poetry. I wish I could say that it fell out of a book in the Bodleian Library or something. It was on Instagram. Um, And it just said, and girls in silk, little fans in hand, frolic with fireflies in flight. And I thought that was so beautiful. And then I did this double take when I saw underneath the age. It said um, 8th century AD. And um, it's Chinese. It's by a poet called Du Fu. And uh, that kind of led me down a rabbit hole first of this very ancient Chinese poetry, um, of which that actually is not even a particularly old example, (laughs) comparatively. They go much further back than that. And then other cultures, uh, Mesopotamian, Indian, Egyptian. And really, I just kind of trawled through these until I found the ones that spoke to me. And they, in a way, I know it's a little bit of a filmmaking cliche, but they kind of selected themselves because the images seemed so vivid to me and so real and so contemporary that uh, that was my criteria the ones that spoke to me I was also keen to have a good spread you know I didn't want to just sort of plunge into one particular culture I wanted to to cover sort of you know different parts of the world and different traditions so that was a criteria too but yeah mostly it was just the ones I loved oh I am astonished at how contemporary these poems feel. Yes. Why did you want to make them into short films? Well, I think that's sort of the alchemy of the filmmaking brain, really. You know, this was, at first, this was just a lovely thing to read and to discover. And then I think if you talk to most filmmakers, most artists in general, you don't have to go very far down the road of just being inspired until you think, well, how can I make how can I make this into, you know, into a project? And at the time, uh, at the very beginning of this, I was working with a poetry charity and trying to find something to do with them. And so I then developed this into a series of films that really spoke to the connection of today with our ancient past, our truly ancient past, and gives a sort of perspective on time really, and how in many ways, you know, the people of thousands of years ago were no different to us. You know, it's very clear if you read some of these poems, you know, they uh, they had the same hopes, the same aspirations, the same desires, the same fears. Uh, but what I didn't expect was for them to be as, you know, as funny as they were, or as romantic as they were, or as inspiring as they were. I, I didn't, I thought I'd have to look really hard to find the connections. To me, they they just sort of leapt out at me. And then the project evolved, and for various reasons, that original version didn't happen. And then when uh, the world kind of came to a juddering halt last year, I found ways of completing this project in lockdown and creating something that sort of took on an extra poignancy that I didn't anticipate in the beginning. Hmm. Can you briefly tell us about each of the poems? They are gorgeous. Oh, yes, of course. Well, the oldest, uh, I'll see if I can work in chronological order. Uh, The oldest is, uh, well, it's untitled, but we call it My Heart, which is from Mesopotamia in uh, 1800 BCE. Essentially, it's a sort of stream of consciousness 
from the perspective of a woman who quite simply is head over heels in love with somebody and kind of doesn't know whether that person likes them back, you know, and uh, are they going to notice her? Uh, is she trying too hard? Uh, that's lovely lovely bit where she talks about you know I put no paint on my eyes I'm not even anointed what that means is I've got no makeup on I'm not wearing any deodorant you know it's <laughs> I'm a mess because of this you know this this guy so that to me naturally translated itself into something to do with kind of dating and uh, especially in the modern age we all live through our phones and particularly during the pandemic you know everything is remote that then became uh, a woman on her on her own uh, talking into her phone about this guy that she loves the next oldest poem is an extract from an astonishingly beautiful and sensual egyptian poem the original translates as the flower song we call it love song and uh it is i think it's about the most romantic piece of writing i've ever read actually it is deeply personal it's very tender quite erotic in places um even more so in others that we didn't use i have to say but that i then translated as different couples different people uh kissing each other very simple uh and i have to say now when i watch it it's extraordinary how something so simple as that now feels so distant you know all these people just in the same room you know this kind of intimacy so that sort of took shape that way there's another one which the original chinese title um translates as he he waters his horse by a bridge in the long wall i wish i spoke chinese the translations are so beautiful but often you could you get a sense of the translator trying really hard to make it work because i don't think it often works directly you know and that's kind of the case in the title um we called that long wall and that is that was written in 150 bc and that is the story of a woman who is clearly longing for somebody who is missing whether it be because of a war or because you know they've just left i don't know and i translated that to be about refugees which seemed very prescient in this day and age particularly with what is the tragic you know years of tragic events that have been going on in syria and in the mediterranean sea and then then we have a lovely little extract from ovid which is basically admonishing people who you know we all know that types banging on about how you know the the past the past was always better and i think now we also live in a, a world where that can be used for political ends quite nefariously and so that i wanted to to kind of explore this and celebrate what the world is today and particularly in terms of diversity and kind of the acceptance of you know of of different lifestyles and genders and all this kind of thing and so i i matched that up with this wonderful footage of um uh, a drag parade it's actually a boat filled with drag queens kind of you know all these many sort of different you know wonderful flamboyant characters from amsterdam but the last one was a uh, poem by the sanskrit poet kalidasa called salutation to the dawn which is probably it's from the 4th century ad and it is probably the best known of the collection because it often makes its way into sort of meditation and mindfulness because it is a very you know it is a very mindful a very centered poem but i i kind of wanted to go in a different way its messages indeed it ends with today well lived makes every yesterday a dream of happiness and every tomorrow a vision of hope 
which is marvelous. But for me, that brought up images of people fighting for a better future. So um, I built up this thing about street protesters and young people and kind of, you know, channeling their anger and wanting to make the world better. So, you know, it is, it is um, namaste, yes, but also smash the patriarchy. Hmm. I love how you use the current vernacular for context with, I mean, listening to you speak and reading about your project regarding the Ovid, you said the Romans knew how to have a good time. Yeah, that, that, right. That's subtle and an understatement to say the least, Jack. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> well, would you read the flower song? Of course. To hear your voice is pomegranate wine to me. I draw life from hearing it. Could I see you with every glance, it would be better for me than to eat or to drink. If I could just be the washerwoman doing her laundry for one month only, I would be faithful to pick up the bundles, sturdy to beat clean the heavy linens, but gentle to touch those fine-spun things lying closest to the body I love. And I'd say, standing there tall in the shallows, look at my fish, love, how it lies in my hand, how my fingers caress it, slip down its sides. But then I'd say softer, eyes bright with your seeing, a gift, love, no words. Come closer and look, it's all me. I wish I were your mirror so that you always looked at me. I wish I were your garment so that you would always wear me. I wish I were the water that washes your body and the band around your breasts and the beads around your neck. Oh, my beautiful one, I wish I were part of your life. With your hand in mine, your love will be returned. I implore my heart, if my true love stays away tonight, I shall be like someone already in the grave. Are you not my health and my life? You had me at I wish I were your mirror. Oh, isn't it beautiful? It's so lovely. I do have a, sli a, a slightly funny story about how this one came about. Oh, please. Um, which is that I was in Dublin in 2017. I was judging a film festival. And I don't know if you've ever been to, to Dublin, but it has this exquisite museum called the Chester Beatty Library. It's my absolute favorite small museum in the world, filled with ancient, ancient manuscripts. They have the oldest extant uh, fragment of the Bible. They have ancient Torahs and Qurans. It's magnificent. Go, go. Uh, when we can travel again. Yes. But um, uh, I was looking at this little piece of Egyptian papyrus and this um, this security guard kind of sidled up to me. And I won't attempt his, his wonderful accent, but he said, um, you know, we did have a translation of that. And I said, oh, yes. And he said, yeah, but we couldn't put it up because it's far too rude. And this is a family <laughs> museum. And so, of course, I, well, I was just beginning to think of this project. So I said, well, I have to find it <laughs> to go look at it. And so uh, that led me down the kind of rabbit hole to the flower song. So, you know, thanks to, the, to that random security guard in Dublin. <laughs> that oh, oh that, and the discretion of the Irish. Yes, exactly. Yes, I thought that was very considerate. Well, in the video related to the poem... You have many different couples of various backgrounds caressing one another. Jack, how important was diversity in selecting 
those you wanted to film? Diversity was extremely important. That is, if you like, the visual message of the film, which is that, you know, we come in all different shapes and colors and genders and everything, and we are all equally deserving of and capable of love. And so, yes, I did I did deliberately pick a very diverse selection of couples, um, only one of whom had ever met before, before the day. That's amazing. <laughs> so did yes. you did you prompt them to be so natural in front of the camera? Did you have well, to direct them? <laughs> yes, I did to a degree. I mean, the, a large part of the the impact is, of course, down to the actors themselves. You know, they they did a wonderful job. But you know, the thing about film sets is that they are they're very they're very businesslike places. They're very noisy places, even very small ones like this. They're they're kind of loud and they're bright and they're hot and they're sweaty, you know. Um, and so to walk into that uh, and then meet a complete stranger and basically say, you know, you've got to make out for five minutes. <laughs> it's quite a tough sell. Um, so I did have a technique for this, which is that I, I started off each of the couples, first of all, you know, I mean, it goes without saying, the sets had to be completely kind of safe spaces and respectful and fun and no egos and nothing like that. Um, but I would start out by getting each couple to simply look into each other's eyes for five whole minutes and they could react however they liked. They could laugh, they could cry, you know, they could pull faces, they could do whatever they wanted. But the rule was they could not look away. And um, the effect of that was this accelerated creation of intimacy between them. Because you learn a lot about somebody looking into their eyes. And it's not an easy thing to do for five minutes. Um, but then after that, I think they all sort of felt that they knew each other a little and they certainly felt more comfortable with each other. And I had all of the reactions I've just listed. Um, the, the tears were happy, I have to say. Uh, no one was that uncomfortable. Um, and then, yes, and then I sort of said, and now just gently touch each other a bit, you know, on the face and on the arm. And, and then after they've been doing that for about 10 minutes and everyone was very relaxed, I just, you know, sort of, Kiss, go, do it. And um and they boy did they, I think quite spectacularly well. Oh yes. And and they were actors. They were actors, yes. All of them were actors. The older couple featured in that film, um, a lovely, lovely couple called Alfred and Layla Hoffman. He is 95, I believe, and she's a little younger. Um, they've been together for something like 60 years. So they were the exception. Um, they, they were already together and I have to say absolutely stole everybody's hearts. Um, during the the bit that opens the film, actually, when they're sort of huddled together, it's a very sweet shot and he's sort of holding her head. I said, just as a kind of improvisation, really, I said, wait, Alfred, could you talk to Layla about some of your memories, you know, some of the things you remember from when you were very young and you were getting together? And just very quietly, he just started whispering about the first time they ever went on a date. And it was Leicester Square in London, 1956, I think, and how he saw her get off the bus and his heart did a little flutter. And honestly, there was not a dry eye in the studio. British filmmaker Jack Jewers discussing his short film series In Verse. We'll be back with more of that conversation after a short break. You're tuned to WABE Atlanta. 
This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Let's return to my conversation with British filmmaker Jack Jewers. His Inverse is a new series of short films inspired by ancient poetry. Here, he talks about the Mesopotamian poem, My Heart Flutters Hastily, and how he navigated filming during COVID-19. It was a challenge, but also an opportunity, as they say, because uh, I could only direct remotely. You know, it all had to be done with me directing over Zoom and the actress, very talented woman called Joanne Chu, videoed the whole thing like a selfie on her phone, which was fine because that was the, that was the concept anyway. But I did have to get used to this odd style of directing, which was a little more akin to theatre. You know, it, it required a little more kind of trust because although I could see what she was doing, you know, I have the view of a spectator rather than, you know, the more usual for film directing when you're, you're right there and you're looking at them and you can see every, every facial expression and, and every intonation. But it also meant that I could, could choose an, anyone, you know, anywhere in the world. And I knew Joanne a little from, um, there's a lovely web series called Three Chen Sisters. Check it out on YouTube. It's very funny. And she played one of the parts in that. And I kind of, you know, as you do, you often earmark people and think, oh, it'd be quite nice to work with that person one day. And so she sprang to mind and um, uh, said yes. And so I, I directed her while she was sitting in Los Angeles and I was sitting in my, you know, my shed at home near London. And it was weird, very weird, but it was fun. Hmm. We talked a bit about the salutation to the dawn. How does this poem become such a rallying cry for protesting? <laughs> That's a good question. I think because of how it focuses on the idea of, well, today well-lived makes every yesterday a dream of happiness and every tomorrow a vision of hope. That's how it ends. And so I thought, well, if you make the most of today, if today is well-lived, tomorrow brings hope. You know, that that led me down a path trying to attach a kind of contemporary feel to it, you know, and something that spoke about the world today and its problems and its obsessions and its, you know, its needs. When we filmed this one, there was a lot of protests going on around the world. Uh, where I lived, there was a lot of kind of street protests because of things like Brexit. And in America, there were various very tragic, very awful kind of police shootings and things like that. And so it was, I was very mindful of that. And so I wanted to sort of pay a little tribute to the people who were, you know, especially the young people who were out there on the streets expressing this kind of this need, this desire, this demand for a better tomorrow. And so, yes, it became it, it just became a slightly counterintuitive way to approach the material as a, a as a rallying cry rather than a meditation. Yes, because the opening line <laughs> reminded me of why the word mantra has made it into common usage. Yes, 
Yes, and so look to this day for it is life, the very life of life. I remember the note I gave the narrator, uh, an actress called Emma Kniebe, and I said, you have to imagine, <laughs> it's a little pop culture reference here, you have to imagine you're Daenerys Targaryen and you're on top of a dragon and you're holding a sword aloft and you'll say, it's not look to this day for it is life, it's look to this day. <laughs> <laughs> it's Henry V, it's all of that, you know. <laughs> okay, it is not the gauzy colored mantra I imagined it to be. <laughs> Namaste and smash the patriarchy. Okay, those are the mantras. Would you describe the effect that you use in the film The Dawn? Oh, with all the people standing still, you mean? Yeah, so I had this kind of vision of a protest or a series of protests frozen in time. And uh, initially I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to use an effect they call time slicing or bullet time as another way it's referred to, uh, where the action stands still and yet the camera moves around. And I very quickly discovered that that was out of our budget by a magnitude of several hundred. <laughs> it was not going to happen on the money we had. So uh, instead, we built it around people standing very, very still and uh, various practical effects. So things like there's a, there's a, a shot with a, a young woman throwing a bottle. And so we have this this bottle made of, it's actually made of sugar glass, um, and it's suspended from the air by a fishing wire, uh, you know, and things like that. And there's some a, a scene with somebody being hit by a truncheon that a, a policeman is carrying, and there's blood spattering. Well, again, that's practical. And I, I chose deliberately for that. Uh, almost everybody featured is a dancer, because I figured that I needed people that, that had amazing core strength if they were going to hold these poses for these extended periods of time, you know, because sometimes for uh, 10, 20, 30 seconds at a time, there's, there's, uh, there's a shot with a, one, of the, one of the young women literally sort of kicking her, her, her leg in the air and sort of leaning backwards. And it sort of, it looks exactly like a still. It's not, she was just doing it for real. I mean, I, 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 I envy that core strength. <laughs> <laughs> I could never do that, uh, not, for, not for five seconds. So yes, that was, that was augmented in various ways by uh, computer effects. Uh, the smoke is computer generated. There's a flame in there that's not real, but mostly it's completely practical. You were able to accomplish that on a low budget. Exactly. Yes, a very, very low budget. Very low. Oh, goodness. Jack, after finishing this project, do you think you'll reimagine other poems or literature into these short films? I would like to, yes. I, I saw it as a standalone project, but I've had this question come up quite a lot, and... So, you know, it may be that it's a project that has to have a, a further life. It will be quite interesting to explore perhaps slightly different uh, different periods, you know, maybe do something a little later. Uh, you know, maybe we could do something with Shakespeare or something, I don't know. I did actually look at an Anglo-Saxon poem uh, when I was trying to select the last couple I was going to work on, because I thought you know, the oldest one we have is uh, 1800 BCE, the, the newest is about 400, Common Era. And I thought, well, we could go a little later. Let's try, let's try the Anglo-Saxons. And they have an extraordinary poetic tradition. Beowulf, much too long, obviously. But uh, I did find this wonderful verse, which is, I think it's called The City. Um, I'll have to check that. 
but it is basically told from the point of view of an Anglo-Saxon person looking at the remains of the Roman civilization that had left England, you know, 200 or so years before they arrived. And it it's basically this sort of very spooky, very eerie, very kind of awe-inspiring verse about what must this people have been? Look at what they built. And yet they disappeared. They went, you know, what happened here? And so I, I thought, well, hang on, there are all these extraordinary shots going around of you know, empty Times Square in New York, empty Piccadilly Circus in London, you know, the Champs-Élysées in Paris. And what if I kind of match that to those? And I did it. And oh, my goodness, it was so depressing. <laughs> and I thought, no, this is not the time. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I'll go back to that when the world is a little more sane. But actually, if you don't mind me sort of extending that thought a little, that is one reason why this project, I feel, took on a poignancy it didn't originally have because it was completed in lockdown. It was released when the pandemic is still, you know, raging. And yet the voices of our distant ancestors feel so modern. They feel so connected to us. We can imagine ourselves them just as we can actually imagine them in our shoes now. And the point to that is whatever we are going through, whatever hardships we are facing, this terrible time that we're living through, they went through worse and humanity survived. We continued. Society went on. We grew. We're going to be okay. And that was kind of, I think, the hidden message of this is, don't worry, it really is going to be okay. Award-winning filmmaker and writer Jack Jewers More information about the Inverse series is on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of Atlanta arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., artist Jamal Barber tells us about fullness his exhibition on view at Mint Gallery. Our senior producer is Kim Drobes. Summer Evans is City Lights producer. Shelley Canavy is our engineer. And I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can also follow us on Facebook at WABE City Lights. Archived interviews and shows are on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. Thank you for listening to WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. 
Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.